So the story goes this way. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God is for us. We talked about that two weeks ago. Download the podcast, you'll want to know about it. It continues, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be a child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him what? Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God is with us. We talked about that last week. It continues and says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel, an angel, the word actually angel actually means messenger. The messenger of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name, what? Jesus. God is for us. God is with us. And we see here that God is not done with us. The angel came, this messenger, and said, here's what God wants, and Joseph followed through. And we're at that point now in our story that God says, here's just something I want for you to do. So we come to this baby in the manger, and, and we say this, this right here, this is God's plan. But I want to propose to you that when Jesus showed up, it revealed that we are God's plan. Paul the Apostle describes it this way as he wrote to the church in Colossae. He said, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Cleet, stand up a minute. You were, where'd you go? There you are. Come over here. Just stand with me up here. This is Cleet, you just met him, and he is not a small child. So let's say that Cleet grabbed hold of the invitation. We said, Cleet, we've got a bunch of our younger kids in Inside Out that need to go tubing at the peak, and he said, I'll do that. So Cleet takes these kids, and they head out to go tubing. And while they're there, they get ambushed by a bunch of junior hires with snowballs. What do you think Cleet's going to do? Go hide in the lodge and have his cup of cocoa? Look at this man. If they're smart, they hide behind Cleet. I would. Thanks, man. So that's my new bodyguard. Paul says, you need to understand that I'm taking it for you, that I'm in prison and all the attacks, the evil is coming against me as I am here in prison, but that's okay. I'm taking it because I'm giving you cover as you are under the radar, as you grow and as you mature, so the day will come that you are strong enough that you can defend yourself. Until then, I'll take it for you. Why would there be an attack? Remember that the Jewish Messiah, this anointed one by God to come heal a broken world, this one 
was described in over 360 prophecies that came two centuries before, at least two centuries before, that baby ever showed up in Bethlehem. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. This Messiah, the anointed healer, the appointed healer of those whose lives have been broken by evil. Messiah. Jesus. The name means the one who was sent to rescue us from the evil. Emmanuel, meaning what? God is with us when we are surrounded by evil. And Jesus said, those who put their faith in the fact that I indeed are all those things, and you believe that, you who believe that are called my body. Paul the Apostle called us who believe a nation. So let us say that, that, that all of you here and all of you up there, except for there on that gallery side, all of you are part of one nation. And so we have this nation. And we'll call it the nation of Erie first. So now we need a president because you have to have somebody control the nation and and, 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 and I think that, that Cle you're, you're large enough and big enough and massive enough and strong enough, we're going to make you president. You're president of the nation. So now we need an ambassador because somebody has to go, when the, when the president can't go, to go places. And so, Scotty, you're pretty good size too, so, so we're going to send you as our ambassador. All right, so if you're sent as an ambassador, who sends you? The nation, sort of, but who said, hey, I want you? The president. So when you go to a nation and you, and you speak, whose words are you speaking? The president's words. You can't speak your own words. You've got to speak the president's words because you are his ambassador. Ambassador represents the president and the nation. So let's say we send Scotty to this nation over here. This is the nation of North Korea. The good news is you get Dennis Rodman to go with you. <laughs> so you go over to the nation of North Korea and you speak the words that Cleet, the president, told you to speak. And if they reject your words, who do they just reject? The president's words. If they treat you harshly, who have they treated harshly? The president and the nation because he sent you, but you represent this nation. And so because they have been nasty, he, they've been nasty to you. You are the nation. So we say, well, they're not listening to the ambassador. Let's send the president. You guys want to deal with Cleet? <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> so if they go and they are kind and humble to President Cleet, who have they been kind and humble to? The nation. If they reject him, if they torment him, who have they rejected and who have they tormented? The nation, you. As it goes with the president, it goes with the nation. And as it goes with Jesus, it goes with his followers. What is true of Jesus becomes true of his followers. Because in this present age, there's still an evil attack against who Jesus is. There is also an attack against those who follow him. 
his nation, his body. The attack is still there. Why? Because God's big secret is out. Paul said this secret has been hidden for generations and ages, and actually what he's saying is this, that before creation and all those ages before, this was a hidden secret. They didn't know. And from the generations from Adam and Eve on and on and on and on, and your great-grandparents and before that and, and for generations before you, they didn't know this secret until it was revealed to them. It has been hidden from generations, it has been hidden from ages, it has been hidden from angels, from demonic powers, and hidden from people after people after people until the moment that it was unwrapped and you understood that in your life, it was unwrapped there in that manger. In fact, the wording that Paul uses is words of breathless excitement. He says, I can't believe this. Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's an amazing statement. He said, first of all, this secret includes everyone, not just Jews, but everybody who is not a Jew, all the Gentiles. This is for you. This secret is for you and is divinely authored. I mean, look at, the, look at the context around this. Divine messengers, angels sent to the father of John the Baptist who was involved in this story. A divine messenger sent to Joseph who is the father of Jesus. A divine messenger sent to Mary who is the mother of Jesus. There is this, this divine star that helps guide, this, this GPS Celestial GPS that, that guides to where he is. There's this an immense angelic choir singing. There is this forerunner of Jesus, the front man, John, they call John the Baptist, who actually is filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And there is this one who is born out of a virgin who was conceived as a result of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the mystery. Here's the secret, and the mystery is not that the baby was born of a virgin, and it's not that the electoral college of the Persian Empire showed up to appoint him as king. Those are great things, but that's not it. And it's not that he took blue-collar workers, these re rejects of worship and culture, and had them there first to worship, these shepherds. That's not the mystery. The mystery is this. He said the biggest mystery of all this, the big secret is this, it's Christ in you. That's the amazing thing about Christmas. It's Christ in you the hope of glory. The hope is this joyful anticipation. Glory is a hard word to, to, to define. It really means that, that everything that exudes out of God wherever he resides. It's just this, this thing about God that exudes out of him that makes everything godly. And he said, when people see the Christ in you, they go, wait, this could be for real. This, this, this could be the hope of, of God showing up again. We are God's announcement of hope. You say, no, no, that's Jesus. You see, it's more than Jesus in a manger. It's more than Jesus on a cross. It's Jesus in you. We are made to be his image, and we've distorted it by our sin. We've distorted it by the things we've done wrong, so people look at us and go, I'm not sure I see God there. A couple weeks ago, in one of those really wonderful snowstorms, 
I was heading to Cracker Barrel for early morning meeting. And I got over here to the I-90 interchange, and, and you know that they've changed the lanes, and so you've got two that are turning left to, to head west on I-90 when you're coming up from the church here. And, and there are times that people still don't realize that those two lanes are going to turn. They want to go straight down Peach. So I'm in the lane, the farthest lane left that can go straight down Peach. And there's a guy over in this lane over here. And suddenly in the snow, and it's slippery out, he decides to dodge in front of me. And it's a dangerous maneuver just because it is, but when it's snowing, it's even worse. And so he pulls in front of me. Now it's early morning. And Jesus and I haven't had a long enough conversation for me to look like God. <laughs> you think coffee will do that. It won't. It's got to be God. <laughs> so I hit my horn in an instructional manner. <laughs> you can't turn here. I really mean it. So he pulls in. We go up. Now he's turning left where I'm turning left to head toward Cracker Barrel. He goes up the street toward Cracker Barrel. He turns left up the street into Cracker Barrel, into the parking spot right next to mine at Cracker Barrel. It's my appointment. Okay, should I tell you who it is? Well, it wasn't cleat, I'm telling you that. <laughs> so we get out, and you know those moments when you wish you had an excuse and you just can't find one? I said, sorry. <laughs> Not feeling much like God today. And he's a brother, he understands. He, he, he talks about sometimes getting fleshy too. I said, I'm, I'm there, sorry. You pay. Let's go. <laughs> Through those moments, people look at you and they just go, you don't look like God. And that's why Jesus came. He said, I died on the cross so that you could take your sins and put on me so that I can change that stuff that doesn't look like God. And then I rose again so that I give you power so that the next time the guy cuts in front of you, you don't lose it. That you look like Jesus driving and not Satan. See, it's, it's, it's not that we're in the image so that we can look in the mirror and say, oh, that looks like Jesus. I, I like the way that Bishop N.T. Wright states it. It said it's not a reflection in the mirror so we can see ourselves. It is actually a mirror at an angle so that I can see Scott and I can see John. I can see Tom and Cindy. I can see because I can see that angle. He said, now, here's the deal. You are not looking in the mirror you are the mirror. Paul the Apostle said, you are a priest or a nation of priests. So instead of just looking in the mirror and saying, do I see Jesus? I'm actually the reflection. You're the reflection of the mirror. So that, that when I'm here and I'm reflecting the earth to God and I'm saying to God, God, there are a whole lot of people who worship you that we adore you, we love you. When he hears what we've done this morning, when we say we bow to you, we humble before you because you are Lord of all creation. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and we're not waiting to the end of life. We're doing it now. God looks at us and says, I see the earth, but I see the earth through you, and therefore I'll take up residency there because I know you love me. That's why God hasn't deserted the earth. 
Because you are a reflection of the earth to him, the one that he wants, the one that he's shaping. In the same way, you are this reflection that looks out to the people who are broken or marginalized, those who are disenfranchised, those who are broken, those who are hurt, those who need forgiveness, those who, who are poor. And you look out to those people and you express to them the way that God would express to them. And when they see that, they go, oh, secret's out. The glory of God is here. I'm beginning to see God in this place that seems so empty and defiled. I see the beauty of God here and now. This gives hope that God will do what he said he would do with the cosmos. See, there's coming a time when, when the life of Mother Teresa and the life of Billy Graham will just be a pale shadow of what God intends to do for the entire world. And that's what is anticipated by a community of faith, whether it's in Colossae in the first century or Erie PA in the 21st century. A community of faith like this and throughout this city that are worshiping and loving. It's a sign of the time that there's a time coming when the earth will be filled with the glory of God, as the prophet said, as the waters cover the sea. And people see that and go, it's going to happen because I see it happening in you. So what's God doing with us right now? He's making us attractive. He's shaping us. He's saying, I'm, I'm forming you. The Scripture says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we reflect back to the people around us exactly how Jesus would act and how Jesus would love, how Jesus would care, how attractive Jesus is. In fact, what he's doing is he's teaching us how to care for others the very same way he cares for us. It's love. God says, I'm showing you. It's what gives hope. And even when it's difficult for you, and you have to express it over and over and over and over and over again in the same manner, it's what I've done for you. It's what brings hope. Freely you have received. Freely give. So that's why we say it's our tradition here during the Christmas season to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, to love all. That's why we as a community of faith, in a concerted effort, focus in one place in the world, whether it's local or global, to say they need hope. So we've been talking these last weeks about 200,000, 200,000, that is the, basically the population of Erie and the surrounding townships, 200,000 street children living on the streets of Nairobi, Kenya. They're there because many of them, their parents have died of AIDS and many of them have contracted AIDS and have been kicked out of their tribes or out of their villages. Why should we care about these kids? Because as we partner with others who are there, these other followers of Jesus, we give hope to children in garbage dumps and on streets who are sniffing glue to drive away their pain, who prostitute themselves so they have enough money to get food to eat. Kids that start out on the street at age two. And when they see this love of Jesus, the secret is out. They say, ah, oh, there's hope. My brother Jay, who was with us last night, we had a great time at, at our Christmas party last night, and we had fun laughing, but he deals with things at times that 
have no laugh about them. He travels the globe going places where children are who hurt deep, deeply, and he gives them hope. He just returned on Friday from working with kids in China, in both the public school and in the underground church. I've asked him this morning to stop by, and so he hasn't even been home since he came back from China. He'll head out today to get back home to his house in Springfield, Missouri, but I asked him to stop by here to tell us what he sees God doing and giving hope to children, and especially tell us what's happening in Nairobi so that we can join with him and in this, this expression of love that God gave at Christmas, we also can be involved in bringing hope to children. Would you please welcome Jay Reisner. It's great uh, to be here today. You know, I find that whether you're sitting in Erie, Pennsylvania, or whether you're sitting in the underground church in Kunming, China, where there are people that love God, he's, he's, he's there. He's always there. And I can tell you that, that I, I feel like I've got the greatest job in the world. For 33 years, we've worked with kids, not by default, but by design. Because I honestly believe that if you change a child, you can change a country. You change a child, you can change a family. You change a family, you can change a community. You change a community, you can change a country. And when you change a country, you can change the world. And as I said, for 33 years, we've, we've had that, that desire to see God do things. For eight and a half years, lived in, in Nairobi, Kenya, and we're the director of children's ministries for East Africa. And now since 2007, we've been the children's ministry specialist international, which is a big word for, with the Assemblies of God, just saying that I, I travel the globe trying to give love and hope to kids, training leaders. And God has opened so many doors, I, I am just blown away at the people everywhere we go that are looking for hope. They're looking for something that they can touch that will say this is life and they can hold on to it. It's not gonna be a high today and a low tomorrow, but when they reach out and grab it, it's like a heartbeat of saying this is consistent, it's real, it's never changing. And that's what God does in our life. You know, I go into elementary schools in, in Kenya and I can walk in to schools that are now because they're, they're free uh, to anyone to go to school. There's 2,000 kids in a school and, and I can share the gospel openly and I can and give an altar call. And it's great to see those things happening. But I can tell you to, to go into China for the last two weeks and to walk in to those communist schools. I couldn't share Jesus, but I could share as close as I could with morals and values. And as I talked about choices, the choices you make have, have consequences. I talked about what trust was and, and to see those kids in schools of over 4,000 kids. And I, I was excited when the communist principal came and said, I have just got off the phone with my government leaders 
And we want to see if we can get you back to train all of our leaders on how to communicate better with our kids with character-based issues. And then to walk into an underground church last Saturday, knowing that it had been raided before and the pastor and his wife had been put in jail for six months and to go into that place and they thought maybe they might have 12 kids and they had a total of 50 people packed in this room. When I got done doing my program through illusion and story and music, but talking about the trust of God to see 11 people raise their hand to say, I want Jesus in my life. Eight of those being kids, but three of them being adults. And then hearing from the pastor that last Sunday, all 11 of them showed up for church at this underground church. To go into the underground Bible college and last Thursday to speak and preach at the graduation of 18 of those kids. And I watched as they worshiped God with tears coming down their face because they knew the next day they were leaving to go back to their communities where they would live dead, they would live for Christ, even if it meant dying for him, even if it meant going to jail. And I see this all over the world, people looking for hope, people looking for something that will change them. You know what, with our, our ministry, we don't believe in just touching people spiritually, but we believe in reaching them physically too. Because many times, as you already know, that when you go in and, and you reach people physically, it opens a door for them to find out what life is all about. I can tell you that, as my brother has already shared with you, when we lived in Kenya, I, I will never forget driving down those streets and you'd pull up to traffic being held and all of a sudden the street kids would come out to go shopping for our fruit and get out and with one hand behind their back, they'd put the other hand out and say, could you give me shilling for food? Let's say, what you have behind your back? And they'd pull out their glue bottle. Tell you what, I'll buy you some chips, fries, and change for your glue bottle. But everywhere you saw, those kids were standing around. And I'll never forget, as a missionary lady and her husband, J.R. Shirley, came and said, do you see the kids? Do you see those kids? And, and people would hear, you'd hear people say, they can't be reached. There's nothing you can do for them. They live on the street. There's no place to put them. But what was so neat was to see the compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is empathy mixed with wanting to alleviate the problem. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And to hear this missionary lady say, I've got to do something. And that's when Kenya Kids was created. Take those kids off the street and to give them hope, and to give them food, and to give them education. But more than that, come to the point that they have Jesus Christ. I'll never forget in 1997 of going over to the beginning of, of Kenya Kids. And one of those boys they got in, had in the school was named Reuben. 
Tell you what, Reuben, Reuben was a rough kid. Reuben was one that, that would run the streets and was bullied, and he'd have to get money and then give it to the older kids. And one day the police picked him up and put him in the juvenile home. And he escaped. And the police picked him up again and put him back in there. And he said he stood at that fence with barbed wire around it, wondering what life was all about as a 10-year-old. His parents had died of AIDS. He'd been on the street since he was five years of age. And he stared through that fence and through it he could see the University of Nairobi. And he thought, how could a kid like me ever end up there? And that night he climbed over the fence. And the police picked him up again the next day. But instead of taking him back, they ran into J.R. and Shirley Gould and said, we've heard about Kenya kids. Would you take this boy? And Shirley picked him up and took him over to Kenya and said, Reuben, do you want to be here? Do you want this to be your home? And he said, definitely yes. And they did something first. They shaved his head bald to get rid of all the lice and disease. They do that to even the girls that come in. And then they gave him something he had never had. And that was a hot shower. They also gave him something he had never had, three hot meals that day. And all of a sudden, Reuben realized, hey, this is better than living on the street. He had his own bunk bed. He became familiar with what was going on, but what was so neat that within three weeks, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And not only had he been touched physically with food and with clothes, but he was spiritually and now was touching life. I want you to know that Reuben grew up in that home. He went to school, and when he got done with high school, he went to the University of Nairobi. In fact, December 5th, he graduated. And he stood there looking out the doors of the University of Nairobi at a fence that divided it from the juvenile home and realized that fence was the only thing that separated from where he was and where he is now. He is going into work on the streets of Nairobi to get the kids off the street. You know, I can tell you that I love going in and I love the masses of kids and I'm glad that we can go in. We have a television program, Rainbow Surprise, that, that reaches over 22 million a week and we t touch Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, and I thank God for that. But you know what? That masses, they're made up of individuals. And Reuben is an individual. I know that my brother shared with you, but I want to expound on a, another story very quickly of David. David was four years old when he was found on the street of Nairobi. He was in the trash dump. 
His mother dropped him off one day, and the other boys took care of him and began to raise him. And the day that they found him on that trash dump, they said to him, David, do you want to come home? And David said, yes. And they brought him in and did the very same thing, shaved his head, gave him three hot meals. And that night they gave him his pajamas that were bought with BGMC funds, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, the bunk bed he was given. And to see David go into that bed, and then as you heard that, that, that they put him to bed, and they go in later and find him in the fetal position on the floor, and they wake him up, David, why are you laying on the floor? And he said, Miss Shirley, I've never slept in a bed. I don't want to soil the sheets. She said, David, this is your home. This is your family. This will never be taken from you. Your pajamas, your clothes, your bed, this will never be taken from you. And she tucked him in and, and she says she can still remember as he just looked around the room and she wondered, what is he doing? And he finally said, Miss Shirley, when I lived on the street, I heard people talk about a place called heaven and that it was supposed to be more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Miss Shirley, is this heaven? No. But I'll tell you how you can get there someday. I want you to know that not only did David give his life to the Lord, but David graduated from the University of Nairobi. And today, he's studying at the East Africa School of Theology to be a pastor. And to think... to think that 100% of those kids, over 2,000, you see, when they come in, not only do they want to get them right with God and get them right in body, but then they try to put them back into their, into their own tribes in a Christian family. And if that doesn't work, we thank God that the churches of Kenya have caught the vision of, Nairo of Kenya kids, and they begin to build group homes on their church property. And if they can't find a place in their village or be adopted, they go into the group homes and they keep them until they turn 18 years of age or until they can make it on their own. And I want you to know that they have had 100% success of every child giving their life to the Lord. And they've had 90, I think it's 94, 97% success rate that they've never gone back to the street. And I thank God of what is happening and to see these kids. I wish I could show you kid after kid that is now adults that are living for God, that are making a difference, that are going back into the community to say, we want to make a difference. I can tell you that when Debbie and I moved to Kenya in 1990, we went with our three of our five kids, but our three that were, were born Tanya, Shauna, and Clayton. And as we went in as a, a seven, a five, and a nine-year-old, it got near Christmas of 1990, and my kids said, we're going to miss being home with our families. I said, I know. How's Christmas going to be? I said, you know what? It's going to be fine. And I'll never forget as we drove down the streets and my kids 
saw those street kids. And Shauna turns and says, Dad, what are they going to do for Christmas? And I said, probably nothing. And our kids went home. As we sat around the table, they came up with an idea, and my wife began to start sewing on the sewing machine. She made over a thousand little bags, stockings full of candy. My kids took their money, and we went out and bought candy and began to fill those bags and the little baggies. And then on Christmas morning, we loaded up in the van and we began to drive out on the streets. And we'd park and where we knew the street kids were, even the rough ones, we'd call them over in Johapasasa, please come here now. And they'd come over and we'd start handing out the bags of candy. And all of a sudden a smile would come on their face. We'd go into the village and we'd hand those out. And after handing 1,500 bags heading back to the house to see my kids walk in with smiles but with tears and saying, this is the greatest Christmas we've ever had. And that became our tradition. And every year we would go out and they would take what funds they had because it wasn't just taking what others had, but they began to realize that love was giving out of what you have. It changed my life. It changed my kids. And I want you to know that Kenya kids, when you touch them, you're giving them love. May I remind you that love finds a way. Indifference finds excuses. Thank you for caring about the kids of Kenya. Thank you for changing their life. And thank you for giving them a real Christmas of Jesus Christ that they can open and that will change them forever. God bless you. Worship fully. Spend less, give more, love all. So this morning, we end with actually giving opportunity to give, and we know that we've been telling you that this is our Christmas Eve offering towards Kenya kids. We've told you that it takes about $900 to get a kid off the street and get him in elementary school, and we wanted to at least sponsor 10 kids. I can tell you that as of this week, we've already sponsored 10 kids. So all I can tell you is I think what God is telling us at this moment is that he wants us to sponsor more kids. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning as we give our tithes and offerings. Remember, your tithes go to this community of faith. What I'm talking about is now your offering. And so I'm going to invite you to just take an envelope, write Kenya kids on it. If, unless you're coming on Christmas Eve and want to give it Christmas Eve, you can do it this morning in this offering. You can go online during the week. You can use your, your phone to do that. Or you can come Christmas Eve and give in that offering. But we'd like to see at least we double that 
and, and take care of 20 kids. If we take care of 20 kids, that's only 0.001% of, of taking care of those 200,000 kids, but we can at least take care of 20. So we invite you to do that. Please prepare yourself. Freely we have received, freely we give. This really truly is what God is shaping us to be, people who are generous and reveal his image and give hope. And so thank you for being part of that. I'm going to pray for the offering in just a moment, and after I do that, we want to again reflect back on what we've been looking, for these, looking at these last three weeks, that God is for us, God is with us, and God is in us. Ushers, would you come? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give to you. Thank you for what you're doing for Kenya kids and for, for children in the underground church in China and, and giving us opportunity to give hope all over the world and even here locally. So we ask you to bless this offering, multiply it for your use. Thank you for how you have been our example of giving, and now we follow suit. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The skies don't seem to be as dark as usual. The stars seem brighter than they've been before. And deep within I feel my soul is stirring. As though my hope has been restored. The shepherds say they've heard the voice of angels. Confirming rumors spread across the land That a child protected well from Herod's anger Is our Father's Son and the Son of Man Love is raining down on the world tonight There's a presence here I can tell Savior. 